Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Liz Milliron. I am really looking forward to talking with Liz. I met her at a workshop we took together about book publicity. Um, like nearly a year ago, maybe. I'm not I'm not quite sure. We'll see if Liz recalls. Um, and so we have lots to talk about um, with her, including her latest book, which is The Lessons We Learn, a title I absolutely love. I know we're holding it up here if you're watching us on YouTube. So I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. And I am interested in hearing about all that as well. But first, I'm going to tell everyone a little bit more about her. Yes, so Liz Milliron <laughs> is the author of the Laurel Highlands mystery series set in the scenic Laurel Highlands and the Homefront mysteries set in Buffalo, New York during the early years of World War II. Harm Not the Earth, the fourth in the Laurel Highlands mysteries was released in August 2021. The third book of the Homefront mysteries, The Lessons We Learn, was released in February of this year. And Liz lives in Pittsburgh with her husband and a very spoiled retired racer greyhound, which <laughs> maybe we'll hear sometime during this podcast. <laughs> and Liz, it's so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. Well, I think we should say cheers to your new release. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's like it's like the day before we're recording this even though it'll mm -hmm. be it'll be a week or two before you guys yeah. actually hear it so it's it'll just... it'll be there in the bookstores <laughs> well you and and you celebrate a book launch for like a month so at least you know, at least <laughs> maybe a year that would be good i had me. to jump ahead because we have to cheer that um book release but liz kindly suggested a pinot grigio a uh wine christy and i both love Mm -hmm. And like us, she likes a nice label. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, you got to pick the one based on It's like the cover of a book, right? Yeah. 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 But let's clarify. You mean the actual physical label, not just like the winery label. Oh, no, we're not, like the actual label. Like we're, not, we're not too snobby. We like a cute label yeah. on the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The label on the bottle. I've been, I have walked into many wine stores and just said, wow, that's just such a pretty label. I need to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many different different kinds of alcohol, but especially wine. Um, it, I'd say it's ninety percent reliable. Yeah, I would say to get to get a good tasting. Wine. <laughs> well, let's see how this one is. Okay, so you guys take bad. a drink. I like it. Yeah, this okay. is um, from the central coast of California. It's a crisp, clean Pinot Grigio. Lovely aromas of lemongrass, grapefruit, and honeysuckle lead to decadent flavors of ripe pear, apple, and hints of tangerine. Mm, that's I know, decadent. I thought that was a lovely combination. It says it yeah. served nicely along seafood or Asian fare with a hint of spice. Ooh, awesome. I think it's also served nicely along a historical um, mystery. <laughs> yeah. 
there you go. <laughs> I, I like it's got a very light taste. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Pinot Grigio usually has a light taste, but this one's even lighter than it's nice. Yes. Yeah. It's a very, very nice uh, Pinot. Mm-hmm. A good choice going with the label. Unlike Liz and I, um, Christy's actually able to be around sea glass. <laughs> yes. We, we don't have that. Yes. There's no sea glass in Western Pennsylvania no, at not all. Not in South Dakota either. <laughs> Let's get started on the questions. And I know. Well, um, first, we should probably just say a little bit about this book. Betty Ahern is the main mm-hmm. character. Yes. And she lives in Buffalo, New York in 1943 correct? Or this is where this one takes place. This book takes place in March of 1943. Right. When I started the series, it was late 1942, but we're into 1940. Well, yeah, we're moving right ahead. I mean, it couldn't have started too much longer because I think she's only like 20 years old, right? (laughs) Not even. She's uh, eight. She's still not at 19. Oh, yeah. Her her 19th birthday is, is coming up. Oh my yeah. So, so she's over 18. So, you know, that's a big deal back then. Um, it's not 21 as much as it is ne- then, but, <laughs> um, but she's young, she's young. And um, we, I'm, you know, I have a lot of connection to this. I'll tell you in a minute, but I'm wondering what made you place this story in that time frame and in Buffalo? It's a great question. Um, the, the whole genesis for Betty and these stories came uh, from a short story challenge, actually. Uh, I belong oh, cool. to a national organization known as Sisters in Crime. And my local chapter several years ago issued a short story challenge that we would all try to submit, write and submit as many po- short stories as possible to a lot of the anthologies uh, that you wow. see, especially anthologies associated with conferences like Malice Domestic and VoucherCon. And the call for Malice for that year was for historical stories. And I thought, well, that one's not for me. I don't write historical. I write contemporary. I'll just let that go. Um, But then I started thinking, and I started thinking about my grandmother, who did work for Bell Airplane during World War II. She made P-39s. Wow. And I started thinking about her, and she was a little bit older than Betty. Um, but I started thinking about her and her job, and it was like, oh, well, well, what happens if this young woman who is just doing what she thinks is her patriotic duty to help the war effort um, shows up one day and there's a dead body on the manufacturing? Well, that was the start of the, that was the very first short story, which was called Homefront Homicide and was accepted and was published um, in the Malice Domestic Anthology that year. And then I had written two set stories in the in the Laurel Highland series, and I was still querying. I was still trying to find a home for them. Um, and I didn't want to continue to write books in that series and spend time if I never got it sold. It would just be a waste. So I said, well, I need to write something different. I need, you know, I wanted to do something different. And I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't think I wanted to write a historical series. But Betty kind of poked her head up and said, I got a story for you. (laughs) And she wouldn't leave me alone. So um, I started that series, Um, then sold the Laurel Highlands, had to put Betty aside for a little bit. But then uh, my publisher actually started a historical imprint. Oh, wow. And they were looking for historical mysteries. And 
I said, well, I've, I've got one of those. I have, if you're one. Interested. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those. Um, and they, they signed a, a three book deal. And this is the third book in that contract. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's great. So that's where this comes from. Okay. Well, I got to tell you my connections. My mother <laughs> um, was born in Buffalo in 1943. Oh, really? Yes. So my grandmother was probably 20. I don't know how old she was when my mom was born. Um, but she, and my grandfather actually was in, was off to the war. He actually was killed in World War Two. My grandmother remarried, but I mean, I don't know, for a while, her and her sisters might have been kind of like little detectives in the neighborhood because they were, <laughs> they're a fun crowd. There was like, they're Polish. So, you know, it was like the whole mm -hmm. big family. She was one of like, I don't know, I want to say eight, six or eight sisters, you know, and then there was one brother or something. And one of my aunts is, my mom's aunts is um, still alive. And so I'm, I'm dying to send her this book because this is probably right when you know she was oh. in high school age or something that's crazy oh i know oh, and well you know to to that that is a little bit crazy because betty is irish and and buffalo much like pittsburgh and a lot of the the, the cities in the northeast they were very ethnic they had mm -hmm. lots of little ethnic neighborhoods mm -hmm. so betty lives in a neighborhood called the first ward which is where all the irish lived in buffalo not this book, but the last book, The Stories We Tell, um, centered around a Polish family that oh. lived in what, what would have been the Polonia or the Polish neighborhood in wow. Buffalo at the time. That's interesting. I need to look at where that is because I don't know my, I know I've spent a lot of time up there and taken my kids up um, because I live in South Florida and they grew up down here. So if we, and I grew up down here, so I was born and raised. And so the only time I saw snow, you know, in my youngest was when we would go up there for Christmas. And that time we would drive in the station wagon. You can imagine it wasn't pleasant, yep. <laughs> um, you know, but I, so in turn, I took my kids up for some, you know, holidays, but we flew and uh, <laughs> most of the time, I think. And so that's where they got to see snow, but. Cause I was like, where can you go that you're almost guaranteed? I didn't know Kathy at the time or I would have brought them there for sure. <laughs> oh no, you are almost guaranteed anytime between October and April. You are. Yeah. I was like, even it's not up. right where they are oh, yeah. because they were, she, they lived in Kenmore. So, you know, it's just right yep. up, even though it wasn't always right where they were, you know, cause the lake effect, I mean, you could go like just out of town and there'd be like drifts or something. So, you know, but oh, we, yeah. got, we got a few times where we were, the local park and over there making you know snowmen and i remember doing that when i was little so yeah yep. cool place like buffalo you know i was thinking that we should for our, for our listeners who don't know much about the series and um we should explain that betty um young as liz said mm -hmm. she has a dream she wants to be a private detective and which is and so amazing in that time frame too I know. Yeah. I just, I love the concept of that. Like you said, you thought of this short story, you know, where um, a young woman, you know, who's serving her country, doing her patriotic duty, but, you know, she finds this dead body and very unfortunately, but, but to have um, a woman, a young woman in the 1940s have a dream of a career herself, I just think is such a really cool take. Yeah. It, I, it intrigued me because the other thing about Betty is she's a movie buff. 
She mm-hmm. loves movies and she loves detective flicks. Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe. Nick and and I didn't Paul. realize they had that back then either. When I was reading, oh, yeah. I was like going, that's like, you know, me watching Law and Order or something. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. kind of. I, mean, yeah. I referenced Casablanca, this new movie in this, oh in this latest book. So. And I spend a lot of time on movie databases going, okay, when did this movie come out? Can I use this one? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and so so I'm imagining you had to do a lot of research. I mean, do you have oh, yeah. family in that area yourself? or? I Yeah, I do, actually. I grew up up there. I grew up oh. in, a, in a, a suburb of Buffalo in the South Towns called Hamburg. Um, okay. You grew up in... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually, my ex-husband's family was from Buffalo. We didn't meet there, but it so it's kind of weird. We were like, okay, they're all up there. (laughs) No, I I grew up in Hamburg, and my husband actually grew up in another suburb called Chicktawak. Okay. So we have roots in the area. Um, you know, we so so the the research wasn't as involved as it would have been if you didn't know the area either. Either because. Yes and no. I mean, Buffalo hasn't changed a whole lot. The streets are pretty much Mm -hmm. there and a lot of the buildings are still there. And I, I ask my dad all the time because, you know, he grew up in the area. Um, He was born in 1947, which is a little bit after the the series, but he's, um, he's a history buff and he's retired. So he loves doing research. Oh, perfect. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll ask him, I'll be like, you know, Hey, this building, I see this building on the map now. Was it there? And he'll be able to tell me, Oh yeah, yeah. That was still there. Or, no, oh. that, that wasn't there or what have you. Um, so I am familiar with a lot of the area and a lot of the neighborhoods and their ethnicities. Um, there's still a lot of research because um, things change, you know, are, are the, the build, uh, you know, new buildings come along like the, the build, book I'm working on just right now, I was trying to reference police headquarters and I had to find out, okay, well, is the current police headquarters where it was in 1943? And it turns out, no, not so much. <laughs> um, so I've got a good basis from having lived there. Um, but there's still a lot of research to what did it look like in 1943? And mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, it's very much the same. Um, but there's always a factual change. Mm. You know, um, this book, I, I talk about Buffalo's Central Terminal, which was their main, their Grand Central. You know, if you think of Grand Central in New York, Central Terminal in Buffalo was the train station. Um, and of course, it hasn't actually been a train station in many, many, many years. The building yeah. still exists. They don't know what to do with it. It's beautiful <laughs> Art Deco architecture. Um, but you know, there's research in, okay, well, what was it like to take a train from Buffalo in 1943? Wow. What kind of trains were there? Where could you take a train to? It turns right. out you could take a train to a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> you it's know, very, I, very strange. That kind of research sounds really fun to me. Like that just sounds like That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, yeah, I would just I was wanna... like, I imagine Kathy having a map <laughs> of 1940s Buffalo on one whole oh, yeah. wall, and then she would just go over and be like okay they're walking because she's a very much so I was wondering are you like a planner like that in in general or no no (laughs) you don't have a big map Um, on the wall (laughs) I don't have a big map on the wall I do have a collection of old maps stored as as jpeg files on my computer that I can look at at any time 
That's a little um, better. It for is technology, a little bit. I, I think, I, Kathy, I heard you say a rabbit hole. It is mm-hmm. a little bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, again, not for this book, but the previous one, I spent an entire day researching washing machines, clothes <laughs> washing machines. Like, what did you, you how did you wash your clothes in 1940? Well, it's it important. was like 1942. You I know. Have, you you got to get it right. Did it, you know? And it turns out, yes, you did have a washing machine and they made tag, made wash, had made wash, was just starting to make washing machines. They stopped once the war came out because, of course, everybody was doing war production. Um, But I spent an entire afternoon researching what did a washing machine look like in 1942 (laughs) and how did it work? And I did all of this for about three lines. Yeah, I was going to say, at what point do you have to go, wait? (laughs) I know. Yeah, eventually you just have to say, stop. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Maybe, maybe I'll I'm just be done. vague about it. <laughs> yeah. For three lines, how much are you gonna? How much are you gonna? And then, then what if they cut it? Like the editor comes in and says, "Oh, we don't need this." Well, yeah. And and sometimes that has happened. It's like I've got all this detail, and my editor's like, "No, we really don't." Yeah, need sorry. Four paragraphs of description. No about one cares. <laughs> but I, you know, I. So my, I, I have two questions. One is about that because I, uh, you know, you always hear about. Um, when people spot things like an historical, um, like a Starbucks cup and what, I don't remember what movie it was. And, and people really love to find those things that stick out. And so I'm wondering if you had any of that. And then also, I am curious about the language that they use, right? Because Betty isn't going to speak as a 19 year old, like my 19 year old speaks. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that right away. I was like, oh, I can tell I am reading about what a a 19-year-old in 1943 would say versus a 19-year-old now? And I was wondering how you did that research. Um, Well, the first question is easy and the answer is not yet. (laughs) (laughs) It just came out though. But you are on the third one. (laughs) I I did actually, I have a critique group who helps me. Mm. They, They read the pages. So they're reading the book as I'm writing it and they're spotting things. I did get busted in this one um, for having a car with a seatbelt. Oh. And they were like, no, cars didn't have seat. I mean, there may have been, actually, there were cars out there that did have seatbelts, but they were not common. And he's right. like, they, they, the, the critique group was hard. No, this is not, she's not putting <laughs> on a seatbelt. Yeah. And I had another thing that I found, it was actually late. It was when I was doing one of my final edits, my final revisions. I had, put two buildings in that didn't exist until the mid fifties. So I had to go back. All of a sudden I was like, wow, they weren't doing wastewater treatment back in the forties. That wasn't a thing. I can't put the water treatment plant and wood lawn in there. So I had to go back and be like, okay, well, how do I do that? So not yet. The answer to answer. Well, the first it question sounds like your critique yet, group I'm being careful. is going to take care of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. They, and, and my, and a lot of my, a couple of my critique partners are older. I was going to say, um, so like, they, are they 90 or something? So They're not 90, but, <laughs> but there's one gentleman who's in, I think, in his 70s and another one, another couple who are in their late 50s, early 60s. So okay. they're not quite as old. They're old enough to be like, no, no, yeah. Liz, that you, doesn't, yeah, no. that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not a thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think we even put seatbelts on and that was, you know, the seventies. <laughs> oh, I cars had seatbelts, but I but didn't they had routinely them. wear a seatbelt until I was, I remember being in the car with my grandmother. Um, we had gone to Pennsylvania to visit her sister and we were coming back and grandma had a little bit of a lead foot 
and we did get pulled over for speeding. <laughs> and I remember the the trooper who pulled us over um, told me to put my seatbelt on. And then I put it on and I never, I didn't like the, the shoulder harness. It like cut my neck. So I put it, I put the slap belt on, but I moved the harness behind me. And he's like, no, miss, you need to put the whole <laughs> seatbelt on. I remember that. And that would have been the mid eight. I bet that was a vivid memory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and to answer your question about the language, that one's really interesting for me um, as a writer, because there's always a question of making especially dialogue authentic to the period, mm-hmm. but you don't want to go overboard because you don't want people to not understand what your characters are saying. Um, right. So you got to wow. be a little bit careful with this line. I watched a lot of movies from the 40s that movies aren't always the greatest historical research because they tend to like screw it up. Yeah. Um, but I watched a few like Casablanca and Bogart uh-huh. and, you know, I watched. That sounds horrible. I'm sorry to do that. I know things we will have to do. They have to do for research. Awful. You had had to to watch watch movies. Yeah. Classic movies. Um, I read a couple of books series that in the forties to get kind of, you know, that sound in my head. And then I have a couple of websites that I Mm. use. Um, Mm -hmm. One is specifically about slang, you know, the common slang terms um, that they used in the forties. And I tried to pick a, a small handful and stick with it and not, mm-hmm. you know, overload the reader mm-hmm. with slang. So mm-hmm. as I, you know, like calling money cabbage, um, you'll get, they'll get that. If I do it a couple of times in yeah. the first book, they'll, by the third book, that becomes like, oh, oh that's so funny. Cause my grandma, my grandfather used to send us some cat. He used to send us some bunny food or something. He would call it like, mm-hmm. Cabbage. I think it must have been cabbage. You'd send us like yeah, because money was either lettuce or cabbage because it was yeah. green. Yeah, that's you know hilarious. Um, but I have a so I have one website that I go to for slang, and then I have another website that just allows me to check the age of a word. Um, mm-hmm. because just because it sounds old doesn't mean it is old. Mm-mm. And I've been tripped up with like words that I thought were pretty common in the forties, and it's like no, that didn't come along until the sixties. Um, and on the other hand, I there's terms that I thought were much newer that I found those they're actually they do use them in the 40s uh the phrase sugar daddy I was sure that that was a 60s thing and now they were using it in the early 40s and it meant exactly (laughs) what it meant in the 60s I thought it was a regular (laughs) South Florida thing right now (laughs) Yeah. yeah you know who knew so that's what keeps me on the language yeah I see Christy's reaching Liz, it's time for the question in the bottle. We always ask a question to our oh, no. guest authors, <laughs> a random question. And they're not that hard. Well, no. usually. This will be interesting. <laughs> what is something you are obsessed with? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. What a question. Wow. Obsessed with? Like a good yeah, it could be. It could be funny or, or a good one or a bad one. What am I obsessed with? I don't have a lot of obsessions. <laughs> That's actually probably good. Here's one. It's kind of stupid. This one's kind of, because I have all these books behind me and you can see that they're not really organized in any particular way. Like <laughs> yeah. over here, I have my Harry Potter collection and I've got all seven of those together. But um, we're very happy. Our, you know, I always think it's funny when people ask authors, well, how do you arrange your books by color, by author, <laughs> by series? I'm like, how they ever fit my shelf? I just can't yeah. As long as they're not the um, floor. But I have one bookshelf outside. One where everything on that shelf must be in descending size. 
Oh, interesting. Only one shelf. Why that that shelf? That's that's interesting. I'm not sure why that particular. And it's only, it's, it's a short bookshelf. It's only like maybe two and a half feet tall. And it's only the books on the very top. And maybe because it's visible all the time. Maybe. I I was looking at them and they were all haphazard and oh. I said because it's where I keep my 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 these are things that I'm going to read next these are things oh that I interesting so so you know it's not in order of what you want to read next it's more of size it's and size. yeah so the tallest tallest to shortest oh, and I was so looking at it one day and I couldn't figure out why it was bothering me and it, you know I could, and I'm like you know what these these just need to be organized by size so they started tall. <laughs> And they go down to short. And when I buy oh, a new wow. book and I want to put it on the shelf, I'm line. I have to line it up with what's already there, <laughs> so it, it goes in the right. Okay, place. I'm going to say and that's that an is, A plus that, that answer. Is the only book. Yeah, that's <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a good one. That's a that good obsession. Good. And that's a, and now if if you have anybody who's listening to this that knows you, if they want to mess with you, just <laughs> as you're walking oh, by, reorganize. I put that reorganize. <laughs> Your husband is gonna be like, just take everything and put it in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a different order, so it's all jumbled up again. <laughs> that's great. I like it. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, and good answer. Um, yep. Okay, so I want to. I'm really curious to ask about your path to writing at this mm-hmm. point in your life. I, I'm gonna read a little bit from your author page, a little condensed, and ask you about it on the other side. So, on Liz's um, about page on her website. She kind of gives you her path and I'm, I'm shortening it here. Um, she says, shortly after I got married, I wrote my first mystery. Then life happened. I had one kid, then another. We got a dog. I had a job. One day the job went away. The kids were older. Then my husband said, why don't you finish that novel? So I did. I joined Sisters in Crime. I learned what writing a mystery is really about, what it really meant. I wrote some short stories. I wrote another book. I queried agents. I heard no. I found my critique group. I wrote again and I got better. I just thought that was in a nutshell, brilliant. And it also sounds so familiar to both Christy and I, but also to so many listeners. It's such a common thing to hear for us to hear from people who have had their career. Maybe they've had their family and they finally are returning to this thing that they've been wanting Mm -hmm. to do. But not everybody follows through with it. Not everybody does the work or, or can fight through those no's and show up every day at their desk or every other day or whatever works. So I was wondering if you could give listeners um, some advice or thoughts about writing later in life. Oh, that's a really great question. It's so hard to get it. This is going to sound so simple and yet it's not at the same time Is you just, you have to do the work. Like for years, when I sat down to write my second book um, and then rewrite the second book and then rewrite it again, um, (laughs) I took my, because I did wind up getting another nine to five job. um, And I took my personal laptop to work with me every day. And I sat in the little cafe, the, the cafeteria area, and I wrote for an hour on my lunch hour. And so when the teams were like, hey, we're going out to lunch or we're doing this or we're doing that, I'm like, no, I've got to write. And you got to develop 
that kind of discipline muscle and you have to decide, is it important enough? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'd love to write a book, but I don't have time. And the, the answer is, well, you do have time. Mm-hmm. But is it important enough that you're going to carve out that time? You know, are you going to give up an hour of television? Are you going to get up? Some people get up at five o'clock in the morning to write before their kids get up or before they have to go to work. Or, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to stay up late? Or are you going to give up your lunch hour? Um, you got to decide how important it is to you. And then you just got to do it. Mm-hmm. You got to sit down and you got to do the work and, and you got to do it. And then my second piece of advice is while you're doing it and you're thinking, oh, this is awful you know, cause it is, you're, you're going to sit there and be like, I can't believe I, I decided I was going to do this. This is so hard. I, and this stinks. And what was I thinking of my very favorite or one of my very favorite pieces of advice comes from Hallie Efron, who's an author who said, just hold your nose and write, just hold your oh. nose and write. And you're going to finish that awful, awful first draft. And it is going to be awful. Mm-hmm. It is not going to be that beautiful, you know, I, I, that was my first book. I finished it and I'm like, oh, it's, it's probably just a, needs a little bit of polishing and then it'll be ready to go. No, it didn't need a little, <laughs> you know, that first book wound up in a digital drawer and it belongs in a digital drawer. It was mm-hmm. a good exercise in, in teaching me what I needed to know. But the first draft is going to be terrible, but that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because then you're going to sit down and you're going to take classes or you're going to join a, a group like Sisters in Crime or they've got or Romance Writers of America or whatever mm-hmm. your genre is. And you're going to learn and you're going to revise it and you're going to make it better. Mm-hmm. But the very first thing is to decide how important is this to you? Mm. Are you going to find the time in your day that you could be writing? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to stop out in front of Netflix and binge watch, right. you know, Desperate Housewives? It, right. that, and that's okay. That is okay. Yeah. That's what you want to do. Right. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think I do hear a lot, um, and probably Kathy, and, you know, when we say, okay, we wrote a book, we're trying to get published, or we're editing a book or something, people are like, I have, I've always wanted to do that, you know, and the response is, we'll do it. But mm-hmm. it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It, it's someplace, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I, I seem to remember reading someplace, it's like 90% of the population wishes they could write a book and only 10% of the population sits down and does it. Mm-hmm. And of that 10%, only like 1% get published. Yeah. I was going to say that too. I think it's one of those bucket list things that many people have on their lists. But as you say, you have, there's only so many hours in the day for everyone and you have to decide mm-hmm. how Everybody you're Everybody gets the same them. 24 hours. Yeah. It's always, I'm fascinated by that idea because, you know, you look at some people who can like, like you, Liz, you still have a, you have another full-time job. You've got, you know, two series, but you've made it happen. You've made it work. And so, so are you still doing the noon hour? Is that still how you do your schedule? More or less. Um, more or less it's that I do want, cause I'm not very productive. The other thing is every writer has to find I had a dear editor friend of mine, she passed away, but she said her, her thing was, you know, find your creative time. What is your creative time? Some mm-hmm. people it's first thing early, really early in the morning. Mine is midday mm-hmm. because by the end of the day, I've put in eight hours at my day job and I'm mm-hmm. done. I just right. want to sit back and have a glass of wine and read a book and <laughs> right, you know, yeah. relax. Uh, so yeah, it is still mostly 12 to one. Sometimes it'll be later in the day. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'll get opportunities on the weekends for bonus time, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is still mostly that midday hour. I think that is incredibly inspirational for people to hear that you can get novels written by working one hour a day, but it's the consistency I'm going to guess is Mm -hmm. what you, Mm -hmm. the discipline is what you had said. Yeah. 250 words is a page and at 250 words a day, you have a novel in eight months. Yeah. Something like that. I think, I mean, it takes a while, but you'll do it. You'll do it in a year. The other thing, and it just occurred to me, I hadn't said this, is you have to decide what your goal is with the book. Like, do you want to be published? Do you want an author? Do you want to walk into Barnes and Noble and see your book on a, you know, on the table, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is really hard um, Mm -hmm. because publishers pay for that, you know? Right. Um, Me, I decided to go with a small press, Mm -hmm. which is not quite, I'm never going to walk into Barnes and Noble and see my book on a table, but you know what? It's out there. Yeah. And, but you know what, your goal might not even be publication, like traditional right. publishing. Mm-hmm. You might want to self-publish it. You might just mm-hmm. want to have said, I wrote it. Yeah. yeah. And you'll just, you'll bind the copies and give it mm-hmm. to your friends and family, but you wrote a book. Right. Yeah. And if that's what you want to do with it, great, yeah. you know, fantastic. Yeah. But you need to decide just like what any kind of thing on your bucket list or something. It could be, yeah. you know, it doesn't great. have to be a career. You can still do it. <laughs> great. I love that's that. Great. I love that. I think a lot of people are going to be very inspired by that um, because yes. that's very tangible to give that yes. hour a day advice. Yes. Um, okay. Christy has a final question for you. Yes. So um, our final question <laughs> to appease all our mysterious foodies <laughs> out there. Um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, can I pick a different series than this one? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the thing with Betty is, you know, the thing with Betty eating and food in the forties is that you had so much in terms of, of rationing. Yes. That oh, yeah. I thought it was funny. She talked about the bologna sandwich and I was like, Oh, I remember my mom oh, yeah. making me that those was, when that, I was little. Mm-hmm. So that was from her yeah, childhood. <laughs> yeah. Fried bologna sandwich would have been uh-huh. it. You know, you don't eat. If you um, get onion on it, one, you're a bonus. <laughs> I've never gotten into fried bologna. My husband likes them, me not so much. Um, I would have to pick actually one of the protagonists from my Laurel Highland series, Jim Duncan, who is the state trooper. Yeah. And I would probably have him grill something, either a really nice steak Mm. or uh, fresh cut. He's a fisherman, so he likes to fish and he knows how to cook fish. That sounds really nice. He has made some really good meals. He did a cedar plank salmon. Oh my uh, gosh. With roasted potatoes yes, and grilled please. vegetables. <laughs> my stomach's right starting to growl my... right now. That sounds delish. <laughs> and I bet he's cute. Too. Right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's cute too. Sounds like a lovely dinner companion. Yes, Anyone who yes. wants to cook for us, right? Yep. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, Liz, it's been so fun talking with you today. I am curious. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, what Listeners who want to find out more about you, where should they go to find that? Probably the best place to go to is my website, which is www.lizmilliron.com, L-I-Z-M-I-L-L-I-R-O-N. That has links to all my social media. I am on Facebook and Instagram, mostly, um, where you can catch up with me there. Be prepared to see lots of pictures of my dog. <laughs> lots of pictures of the dog. Oh, we love um, dog pictures. Yeah, they, they, the dog 
insists on being, well, he doesn't insist, but I get a lot of conversations out of the dog picture. Um, but that has links to my social media. You can find me, like I said, Facebook and Instagram. It'll also give you the opportunity to sign up for my monthly newsletter. Mm. I do send a monthly newsletter. I do not spam you. I will not sell your email address, but um, every month you'll get a little, you know, update on what's happening with the writing and the books. Um, And when you sign up, you get a two free short stories, one from each series. Oh, nice. Nice. That is a major bonus. And I'm also on the guys. Yeah, I'm on Goodreads. You'll find links to Goodreads and BookBub. I'm out there, but I, I just kind of, they list my books. I don't, yeah. right. I haven't figured out. Well, there's Goodreads. only so much you can do unless <laughs> right? you hire somebody. There is almost right? so much <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. We're so thankful that you were able to meet with us today. And congratulations on congratulations the on the book birthday the lessons well, we thank learned you so much. this has been great being here thank you and i think we we have to do another cheers yes, we do cheers. We cheers. thanks for joining us for today's episode subscribe to our podcast on our website gameofbookspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.